Zambia. We're so proud of you. There's hope for me, family. I see the light at the end of the tunnel. Soon I will be handing over the baton. And we can hand over to these capable, anointed young musicians. Later, Leah's just been learning for a few months and already she's made such a lot of improvement. Well done. And so, good morning, family. God is good. And all the time. Hallelujah. It's always so good to be in the presence of the Lord. And uh, so good to see your friendly, smiling faces. Just trying to see if my, my brother's in the service. He's not. Maybe he got lost. There on Henrik Pochita. No more Roblox. There's still Roblox there on Henrik. And he's like, Lee! You were right behind me all this time, man. <laughs> so good to have Leroy in the service. You're operating like a ninja. <laughs> uh, my good friend from Peter Maritzburg. Uh, so good to see you. We go back long, 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 long back. Back when some of the brothers were calling us uh, Janice and Jambres. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. I'm looking forward to this week of, uh, of prayer. Yeah. If you know what our big bowl sessions are about, all we do is, is take it from Revelation, I think it's five, uh, where the angels had in one hand a harp and in the other hand a bowl. The harp speaks to worship and the bowl speaks of the incense of the saints. So what we do is we come together and we worship and we intercede. We pray and we worship. And there'll be no preaching. There'll be no uh, exhortations. I'll just steer and guide us in, in prayer. And we're excited to have uh, Chesney with us again. Chesney is no stranger to this house. Anointed prophetic worshiper. And uh, he's excited to be joining us. And Grins, uh, see you. The empowers, empowers ahead of us, story. Eh? <laughs> We're still looking for, forward to the men's ministry taking off. Uh, in my mind and in my heart, when I compare the men's ministry and the women's ministry, I see the women's ministry as a, as a Aston Martin or Ferrari, you know. And I see, uh, I see the men's ministry. Uh, like my grandfather's, you know, scoro scoro, you know, say, dancing back in the day when you were dancing, and it's giving so much issues. <laughs> but this year, 2023 is our year with the men's get, with the men's gathering. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Can you, uh, children? What was it for? They, they live. The great evacuation has taken place. Amen. Children are gone. The rapture has taken place. Amen. Luke chapter 11, please turn with me. Third book in the New Testament. Luke chapter 11. When you are there, please give me an amen. Amen. If you are seeing Deuteronomy, 1 Kings, Lamentations, please come see me after the service so we can lay hands on you. <laughs> Amen. Luke chapter 11, and we're reading from verse, verse 1. Now it came to pass as Jesus was praying at a certain place when he seized that one of his disciples approached him and said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as john also taught his disciples please teach us to pray so jesus said to them when you pray say our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven 
Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And Jesus said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on this journey, on a journey, and I have nothing set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give that to you. I say to you, though, he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend. Yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a, of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts, to your children. How much more your Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Amen. 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 Can we pray, family? Father, we thank you for we thank you for your love. We thank you for your heart towards us that we can call you Father. And right now, Lord, we incline our ear and our hearts to hear your word. And we pray, Lord, that the word that we hear, we will hear like that wise man who built his house upon the rock. We will not be like that man in James who looked into the perfect, or looked into a mirror and forgot what it looked like. But Lord, as we look into the perfect law of liberty, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be doers of your word and not just hearers. Help us not to be like those uh, forefathers of the Israelites who did not mix the promise with faith. And so Lord, your word says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. Build up our faith, confront us, challenge us, and change us in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody says, Amen. 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 Family, we're still talking on the subject of prayer. And um, in a few weeks from now, we want to get into a series on Daniel, on the book of Daniel. So I'm giving you a head start, okay? Get into reading the book of Daniel. Uh, we're going to be teaching through that book uh, in a few weeks from now. And this morning, we're talking around the subject of, uh, or the series, When the Church Prays. And if you missed out on last week's um, message, I'll encourage you, download the Podbean app and look for... Uh, look for uh, Reba Church and you'll find all our archived sermons there. Amen. Title of, of our message this morning is The Classroom of Prayer or The Lesson of Prayer. And so first we'd like to look into the structure of the Gospel of Luke. When we look at the Gospel of Luke, it can be divided into four parts, four main sections. Okay. First section is between chapter 4 and chapter 9, which deals with Christ's ministry and teaching in the region of Galilee. Second section of Luke deals with his journey to Jerusalem, and scholars like to refer to this section as the travel narrative or the travel story, and that's between chapters 9 and chapters 19. It takes up a large portion and percentage of Luke. The third part of the structure deals with Christ's teaching ministry in Jerusalem, which is between 19 and 21. And lastly, we have the section which deals with the passion story, the passion narrative, Christ from the Garden of Gethsemane, making his way through uh, towards the cross, towards Calvary. And so the passage we just read is located in the travel narrative. 
and the main reason why why theologians and scholars refer to this section as travel narrative is because of of Luke's Luke's writing style Luke was an incredible author an incredible writer and so he employs a kind of literary style and technique that is that is so profound I think in my own own opinion because he keeps on making the reference about eight or nine times you'll find it in chapter 9 chapter 13 17 18 and 19 he keeps on making the reference that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and the scholar Mir says it's not that Jesus is moving from one point straight through to Jerusalem no it's almost like he's going in a circle to Jerusalem but Luke is trying to put forward to us that Christ is consciously mindful of his Jerusalem goal and that he's resolved to get through to Jerusalem and when we begin to weigh in further into the Gospel of Luke we we'll also find that in the Gospel of Luke there is more reference to the prayer life of Jesus nine prayers are recorded of Jesus in Luke two more prayers than any other gospel recorded in chapters 11 and chapters 18 Luke also recounts to us two parables on prayer that is not found in any other gospel you will also find the parable of the story of the Pharisee and the story of the of the tax collector praying in the temple and the Pharisee prays and says Lord I thank you that I'm not a sinner I'm not like a sinner and he prays in, in his self-righteous mind and the tax collector comes and says Lord I'm a sinner and Jesus says the man who cried out that he was a sinner was the one who was heard and forgiven and so Jesus and Luke begins to unravel the theme of prayer and we find on two or three occasions um, Luke stressing the fact that Jesus was a man of prayer and so more than any other gospel author we have Luke painting to us this portrait of Jesus the man in prayer when we get to Gethsemane we see a distinction in the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane because in Luke's account Luke stresses the fact that the disciples had fallen asleep and not prayed and none of the other Gospels give us that little detail and so in Luke I want you to understand this morning that we encounter Jesus the man of prayer amen we are given a snapshot and a peek and the opportunity to peer into the records of the prayer life of Jesus Luke gives us a detailed description of what it was like for Jesus in his prayer closet and so he tells us that Jesus would often be praying alone in, at a certain place he also tells us that before Jesus recruited his 12 disciples that he prayed right through the entire night and all night prayer alone Jesus was praying he also tells us that at every significant moment and shift in the ministry of Jesus he was found praying whether it was him being baptized he was praying whether this was him being transfigured he was praying he also highlights to us the fact that he prayed for the sick he prayed for the 5,000 he prayed for the children even when Peter was tempted and when Peter would deny him he encouraged Peter and said I'm praying for you even in the most busiest of his days Bible says he ministered to the sick from morning until evening he slipped away to pray prayer was his priority 
even on the cross, we find him still praying. And it's no wonder that the disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. But can you imagine what it was like? We just have the records of, of Jesus praying. But can you imagine what it was like for the disciples who got to actually watch him pray? We are not dealing with an ordinary intercessor. Yeah. We are dealing with an intercessor of the highest caliber, of the highest rank. Jesus, a man of prayer. And Hebrews chapter 5 gives us a little understanding about how we pray. Hebrews chapter 5 says, Jesus, who in the days of his flesh offered up prayers with cries and vehement tears unto the one who was able to save his soul. And he was heard because of his godly fear. So the writer of Hebrews tells us that when he prayed, he was passionate. He prayed with, with screams and tears and he yielded his whole body in prayer. Can you imagine what it was like to be a disciple and watch Jesus pray? You know, when, uh, when people speak of the great men of God of old, uh, like Smith Wigglesworth, you know, a man who performed many signs and wonders, many testified that to be in a prayer meeting with, with Smith Wigglesworth was like being at the very throne of God because of the passion and the love that these men carried in calling out on the name of the Lord. So I can only imagine what it was like being a disciple, having to observe an intercessor like Jesus in action. When they watched and observed Jesus pray, they put aside the experience of prayer. Every Jew was accustomed to prayer. Yeah. They were religious people. They knew the prayers of David. They knew the prayers of Abraham who interceded for Sodom. They knew Moses who was a man of prayer and intercessor. They knew what prayer was. They were well versed in the practice and understanding of what prayer was. But when they watched Jesus, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Because from where we stand, we know nothing about prayer compared to you. When you look at the life of Jesus, you see that here is not a preacher who prayed. Here is a prayer who preached. The largest percentage of his life was dedicated to prayer. He spent more time praying than preaching and teaching and healing the sick. He spent more time talking to God about men than talking to men about God. He loved the presence of God. He lived on his knees. He was fully invested in prayer. And let me tell you this from my experience. Probably your experience too. It's easier being a preacher than an intercessor. Yeah. It's easier being a theologian than being an intercessor. There's just something about the ancient practice of prayer that that is so uncomfortable at times. It's easy to shrug off prayer. It's easy to put aside your appointment of prayer. Not easy to put off a preaching appointment. <laughs> but to commit yourself in prayer takes a different kind of sacrifice and a different kind of worship. And as preachers, we always get to, to talk about, about you know, modeling what Jesus did. You know, doing what Jesus did. Uh, because Jesus promised us, he said, uh, the works I do, you will do also. But greater works than these because I go to the Father. And so, you know, there's all, always been this talk about imitating Jesus and, and, and walking in the footsteps of Jesus. But we never get to the point where we say, do we pray like Jesus? Have you ever had an all-night prayer alone? No church, <laughs> no company. 
no one to support you, no breaks. And simply just calling on the name of Jesus. We don't get to do what Jesus did until we get to pray like Jesus prayed. Bottom line. Here was the Son of God, the Son of Man, who was fully invested in prayer. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. No power. The posture of prayer is the place of power. Jesus prayed, and so the disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. Not teach us to preach. Not teach us to perform miracles. Don't teach us to prophesy and to exhort. No. They had a different kind of request to the disciples of the 21st century. The disciples of the 21st century want to know how to preach, how to perform miracles, how to draw a crowd, how to draw the multitudes. But the disciples of Jesus wanted to know, Lord, how can we pray? Because everything in your ministry, your preaching, your, your ministry to the, to the sick, everything we can see is tied to your prayer life yeah. and to the way you pray. So teach us, give us the keys of the kingdom, the keys to the throne of God. Teach us what it is really to pray. And so in response to his disciples' request, Jesus gives them a three-part teaching on prayer. Prayer, prayer is often not taught. You know, you've got to really teach someone how to pray. You know? It's more caught. You know, best way to learn how to pray is to pray. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Just pray. You know, set the time aside and just pray. But it's an aspect of prayer that we need teaching on. Because prayer, prayer must be principled. Prayer must be rooted in the Word of God. And when, and when your prayer life and your prayers are guided and rooted by the scriptures, then it's easier for the Spirit to lead you. And for, you, for the Spirit to make intercession on your behalf. And so Jesus teaches them, gives them a parable, he gives them a pattern, and he gives them a promise. Gives them a model prayer that we call the Our Father, but in all true sense of the word, that's the disciples' prayer. The Lord's prayer is in John 17. You can go check that when you get home. <laughs> he then teaches them a parable on prayer. Then he shares some promises of the Father around prayer. And in these, and in this three-part teaching, he teaches them that God instructs us to pray. Firstly, he teaches us also that God is eager to hear your prayers. He also teaches us that God is certain to answer your prayers. And he also teaches us in verses 11 to 13 that it's God's desire not just to answer your prayers but to give you the best. Because he says, to all who ask, I'll give the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit represents the best of the kingdom. And so for the sake of time, we're just going to look at the model prayer. And the reason why we refer to it as the model prayer is because if you read Matthew, Matthew says, pray like this. Jesus says, pray after this manner. So it's a model. The disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Not teach us what to pray, but teach us to pray. And if you look at the custom of the rabbis of old, they would usually give their disciples a model of prayer and not just the content of prayer. Of prayer. And so what we've done in this day and age and for many decades and moons is that we've turned the Our Father in in. Uh, into a prayer to be recited in a ritualistic fashion and yet it's not designed to be a prayer that's just simply recited it's a prayer that gives us a guideline on how we should pray and so a few observations we're going to make if you're looking at Luke chapter 11 the Bible says that Jesus was praying 
at a certain place. And when he was done praying, a disciple came up to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And the first words Jesus uttered from his mouth was when you pray. When you pray. Because it should never be a matter of if you pray. It should be a matter of when I pray. The greatest tragedy in life is not unanswered prayer. It's unoffered prayer. James put it this way. He says, you have not because you ask not. And so the most common cause for unanswered prayer is simple. Unoffered prayer. We just don't pray. Many of us have treated prayer as though it's that glass box, you know, in your office building that says, break in case of emergency. That's the only time you find us praying. As we know, hell breaks loose. And when things don't go according to plan, then we turn on the ignition of prayer and we turn to God. But I came to tell you this morning that if you only pray when you're in trouble, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, put it this way and said, Pray when you feel like it, because it's a sin to neglect such an opportunity. Pray when you don't feel like it, because it's dangerous to remain in such a condition. Pray. Pray when you feel like it. Pray when you don't feel like it. Pray. Why should we pray? I asked this question on, uh, on Thursday devotions. Why should we pray? God is sovereign. God's all-knowing. God's all-powerful. God's in charge. God can do the impossible. Why bother praying? Why pray if God is sovereign? Think about it. He doesn't need to solicit your prayers to get anything done to accomplish His purposes. So why is it necessary that we pray? Why pray if God is sovereign? We pray because God is sovereign. We pray because He's sovereign. And what do I mean by this? I mean that He's Lord over creation. He has power to do the impossible. He's all-knowing. He sees the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. And when I say He's sovereign, I mean that God has chosen to do what he pleases. So when we speak about the sovereignty of God, we speak about the fact that God does everything according to his good pleasure. And he does it how he wants it to be done. And because he is sovereign and does what he pleases, he chose to hang many of his plans and purposes on our prayers. So prayer is not a duty to be, to be performed. Prayer is a privilege that we get to enjoy. We get to, to participate in the counsel of God when we pray. Ian Bounds put it this way. He said, God's cause and God's purposes are committed to men. God commits himself to men, to praying men, Praying men are the vice regents of God. They do his work and they carry out his plans. And so Jesus gives them a model and a pattern to pray after. He says, pray according to this blueprint, according to this pattern. This is a skeleton which you can hang all your prayers upon. 
when you pray say our father our father not my father our father because the kingdom of God is about community it's it, the kingdom of God doesn't rest on isolated individuals the kingdom of God is expressed through many members of one household and one family. No man should operate as an island. Our journey of faith must be lived out from the place of community. And so he's our father. Our father. And nobody sees it this way because we're so used to praying in this way. That when Jesus told his disciples, you call God our father you call him father that was a radical departure from Jewish law and Jewish custom and the Jewish mindset the reason why Jesus was being sent to the cross was because they felt he was blasphemous and they and that he could he refer to himself as the son of God or the son of man according to Daniel or, or, or the fact that he calls God his father the moment they heard him address God as his father they said blasphemy and so he takes, he takes his relationship with God as a father and invites his discipleship into this arena where you get to call God a father. The concept of God as a father does not appear strongly in the Old Testament. It's a dumb and faint concept. There's not one prayer in the entire Old Testament that addresses God as a father. There's metaphors of God being the father of the nation of Israel, but no prayer, no prayer has ever been uttered by any Old Testament patriarch or saint addressing God as a father. That was a no-go area for the Pharisees and the scribes of the Jewish people of that day. There's no evidence in all of Jewish antiquity that says you can call God your father. And so Jesus says, when you pray, I want you to know that he's a father. He's a father. He's invested in you as a father is invested in a child. You his child. And he's your father. And the Aramic term used there is Abba, which means very respectfully and you know, and, and tenderly, dearest father. And it's something, if you read the Gospels, you will see that part of the mission and assignment of Jesus, besides dying on the cross and redeeming us from the curse of, of sin and, and the law, part of the mission of Jesus was to reveal the Father. That was his agenda. John 1 tells us that the Son only begotten son was in the bosom of the father and he has declared him to us when jesus prays in in chapter 17 he says lord i have manifested your name to those that you've given me and jesus time and time and time again tries to teach us and model to us that god is a father why does god want to be called a father simply put he prefers the title. And in this day and age, fatherhood has got such a bad rap. God is trying to teach us that I'm, I'm your father. I'm your father. I will take up the responsibilities of a father for you. I'll protect you. I'll provide for you. I'll love you. And I'll discipline you because that's what daddies do. He's a father that has active interest in the lives of his children. And so Jesus says, when you pray, pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And 
And the first three parts and petitions to their prayer deals and centers on God. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Because you've got to give place first to the glory of God. You've got to give place first to the will of God. You've got to give place first to the sanctity and, and holiness of his name. And until you give him the glory, he says, now you pray, give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Keep us and lead us not into temptation. Keep us from the wicked one. Now you can turn your attention to your needs because I'm a father who's interested in your day-to-day -day needs. He says, pray our father because all kind of communication and relation to God must be built and established on relationship. Prayer is based on relationship. Prayer is not about expecting God to carry out your decisions. Yes. Yes. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance because Jesus said he's willing and he's eager. So prayer is not about twisting or bending or manipulating his arm. No. Prayer is about laying hold of his willingness because he's willing. Prayer is God's requisition system for the believer. He said, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. Prayer is ineffective when there's no commitment to obey him. Because the Bible says in James, that is the fervent, effectual prayer of the righteous that avail much. So your righteousness and your place of being in a right standing with God gives you leverage in your requests and petitions to God. And he says when you come as the righteous, you come fervently and you pray effectively and when you come in under those two conditions your prayers avail much righteousness has much sway in the kingdom of god there's power in righteousness proverbs 21 verse 3 says to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to god than any sacrifice Prayer is also no substitute for action. Prayer is not a substitute for action. Augustine put it this way, said, Pray as if it all depended on God, but work like it all depends on you. So praying hours and hours and neglecting the work and, and, and neglecting the pursuit of solutions will do you an injustice and prayer is no substitute for obedience you can pray until you blew in the face God is saying I've asked you to obey my word I've asked you to keep my words I have this request of you how should I honor your request but God is merciful, you'll find that his reign falls on the just and the unjust anyway. And so he asks for obedience, he asks for righteousness. When we examine Luke chapter 11, you'll notice that Jesus says, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. As a believer, as a Christian, we've got to have the kingdom at heart. Yes. We've got to have the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the reign of God 
on top of our priority list. That's what the scripture says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these other things will be added to you. So you've got to make the kingdom of God your priority. And then Jesus says, when you pray, pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you've got a heart, you've got to have a heart to submit to his will. You've got to, you've got to have a heart to see his will and what he wants and his desires to be established in your home, to be established in, in your life, in your work. You've got to have a heart for the will of God. So you'll never ultimately pray right if you have no regard for His will. One of the reasons why Jesus goes on to tell us about the parable of, uh, of the friend who comes at midnight and bothers his friend. One of the reasons why He tells us that he says he won't give him his request because it's his friend. He'll be more, he'll be more prone to, to give him what he wants because he's nagging. And then Jesus goes on to explain that if you ask, you shall receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be open to you. So he's talking about the importance of persevering in prayer. And one of the things you can, you, you can kind of learn about perseverance is, is this, uh, like when it's, when it's time for Christmas or, you know, well, we used to do Christmas gifts in our home, but ever since, you know, the kids are being added to the home, we're like, okay, uh, mommy and daddy won't get gifts, <laughs> you know. But when it comes to our birthdays, we kind of prioritize that. And so, when, when I know it's my birthday, I say, hey, babe, uh, I'll just give her clues and hints. This is what I want. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then a week into it, something else catches my attention. I'm like, oh, I also like this. This is really nice. I think I prefer this. But every time I get closer to the, to the D-Day, to the answer, my requests keep on changing. And so what happens when you really get engrossed in conversations with God? And when you start praying about His will and what He wants, you find that your conversations and your intercession with God, kind of, your requests start changing the closer you get to the answer. So the more you pray and say, Lord, Lord, please do this in my home. But as the weeks go by, your heart changes and you get to a place where you align yourself to what he wants. And your heart goes through this metamorphosis and change and prayer ends up changing you yeah. instead of changing. And in the moment you, you put the finger on the button, God says, now you've got it. Now you've got my attention. This is what I wanted for you. Because you persisted and you prayed. You were on this journey of discovering in your prayer. And you've now finally figured out, this is what I wanted for you all along. I didn't want you to go work at Standard Bank. I wanted you to work at EPSA. <laughs> I didn't want you to go into full-time ministry. I wanted you start a business but the more you pray and the more you make it about what he wants the Holy Spirit begins to guide you and lead you and make intercession on your behalf and that's what that's what prayer is it's not a monologue it's not a one-way conversation it's a dialogue it's a conversation with him and the more you begin to speak to him the more you begin to speak with him and you begin to discover what's important to him and how he wants to establish his kingdom and how he wants to establish his rule and how he wants his name glorified and what he wants done in your life. And maybe until you get to that place where you say, okay, it's not my will. 
It's not my, it's not about what I want. What do you want? You, my father, you know what's best. You're interested in my day-to-day decisions. What father wouldn't be? But he says, call upon my name. Come to me, come talk to me. Those prayers you pray, you know, before you, I'm guilty of that, you know, before you go to bed, and you lay your, your head down and you just reflect on how busy the day was and how you know, sometimes miserable your life is. And you say, Lord, please, please change it. He, he has those prayers. Uh, those are like cheap prayers, man. Yeah? Like vibrant tips. God is saying, pray. Give me the time. Give me the attention. Because when you're on the line with Mrs. Elliot, you can talk for hours. Set the time aside with me. Let, let's have a place in the corner of your home where you come and you just commune with me, speak to me. Call on my name, invoke the power of my name. Journey with me, persevere with me. Because if if we were in the position Jacob was in, and Jacob was wrestling with the angel, which said to be a theophany, he's wrestling with God, and he's wrestling with the angel, and he's wrestling, and he wrestles until, until dawn. And he perseveres with the angel. And then the angel blesses him and touches his hip. And says, you have, you have fought, strived with men, and you strive with God. And for many of us, we don't persevere in prayer. We don't make prayer the order of the day. Not only do we have to have a time of prayer and a place of prayer, but we need to pray throughout the day. We need to talk with Him throughout the day. Fill your day with conversations of God, with God. That's how you build a relationship with God. I don't care what phase or place or condition you in in your life I don't care what mess and how out of control it is I promise you this one thing that if you get down and on your knees make time and a place for him make a time and a place for him he'll meet you there Amen. and I mean don't just pray one day pray every day yes. pray weeks pray hours invest the time sow the time by calling upon the name of the Lord it's not an issue of him not answering us and not being willing. Because Jesus told us he is willing, he's able. But we never pitch up to the place of prayer. We give him a lame sacrifice. You know, when you're half tired. Or when, or when trouble strikes. And truth be told, that trouble came from him. Yeah. You rebuking and binding the devil. God said, I sent the storm. Because I needed to get you to rely on me and call out to me. So your troubles are the prophets of God. Are the blessings of God. They come and point you to Jesus. Because you've relied so much on your own ingenuity, your own understanding, your own strength, your own resources. And God is saying, I'm going to mess it up for you. I'm going to take it away from you. I'm going to put you in a place of desperation. Because the blessings mean absolutely nothing without the relationship with the blesser. And I heard this on a podcast that blessed me so much. Um, it's called Upset the Gram. And they're having this conversation. And they talk about Moses. God promised Moses that he's going to give them the promised land. That was the promise. I'll bring you out of Egypt and I'll take you to a land filled with milk and honey. But it came a time in Moses' place where the pillar of fire and cloud moved with wherever they moved. They would only move when they saw the pillar move and the presence of God move. And so Moses got to a place where he was like, Lord, I'm not going up to the land unless your presence goes with me. Yes. In other words, I don't want the promise 
if I don't have your presence. I don't want the blessings if I can't have you. That's the heart and trust behind prayer. Time with Him. Not five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes. I'm talking about becoming so lost in conversation with Him that you get a phone from your wife. Say, babe, where are you? <laughs> Getting lost in prayer. How many of us this morning have tied a day in prayer? How many of us have given time in prayer? We face all sorts of different challenges, but the answer has always been simple. Call upon Him. Call on me and I'll answer. No magic formula. Just talk to Him. He's your daddy. He's invested in you. He's interested in your day-to-day lives. He wants to make it happen for you. He's willing. So lay hold on his willingness. It happened with Daniel. Daniel is praying. And an angel comes weeks later with the answer. And the angel says, God heard you and answered you the first day. But I was hindered. The powers and the princes of Persia and the powers and principalities. And so, so God's eager to bless you. But there's, there's a back end of things that we need to press through in our prayer. Yeah. And so this Tuesday, if you have the time and you're not working, we have prayer. Can we lay hold on the heart of God? Can we lay hold of the throne of God? Amen. There's so much we trust in God for as a church, as a family. We trust in Him for our property. We trust in Him for signs and wonders. We trust in Him not just for resources. We trust in Him for revival. And we will never do it apart from prayer. Yes. Never. Can we stand? Maybe I close. And so Lord, we know that the, the old saying, you, know, you can never 